You know those moments, just those true living moments where you're experiencing something and you just don't want it to end? Where you just don't want to go home from this concert or sporting event or wherever you're at, hanging out with friends, whenever. That's what tonight felt like. And thank you to Southside Johnny, a New York, a New York, excuse me, a New Jersey staple. There were, as people from New Jersey of a certain age will feel offended. I just used that song to chirp their home state. I just didn't want to go home. Because for the second game in a row, the Hurricanes surprised me with their performance. I expected some pushback in Game 4. I believe I've said that on this very show. I did not expect a 6-1 trouncing inside the Prudential Center for the Carolina Hurricanes. Jordan Marnock alone... No, what? Not there yet. We'll get to Jordan. Jordan Marnock deserves the biggest of pats on his back tonight. But... There's a lot to go over, a lot of goals to talk about, a lot of great news. So without further ado, play The Thing. 9,393 days of frustration, and on the 9394th day of NHL existence, the Carolina Hurricanes have won the Stanley Cup. Welcome to Home Ice Advantage, with historical perspectives, modern-day deep dives, special guests, and a healthy mix of good, bad, and or hot takes, this is the best place for you to learn about your Carolina home games. I just want to say thank you, and I'm looking forward to this challenge. It's an honor, and I think we're going to do great things. The vibes are good, as they like to say back in Raleigh. For the first 10 minutes of tonight's game, we weren't sure if that was going to be true. The Devils came out and shut Carolina down, especially on that fourth shift. It looked like it was going to be another disappointing night for Kaniacs. Ultimately, Timo Meyer and Jack Hughes would connect to score the first goal of the night for the second game in a row. And again, it seemed like it might not have gone the way Carolina wanted it to, at least early on. For the first, like, ten minutes, it was the Devils' game. It's not that Carolina didn't have their chances. Jordan Stahl had two great chances right from the net that just didn't happen. What are you going to say? It's hockey. Freddie had to make a couple of just great saves early on to keep New Jersey at bay. As the first TV timeout came... Natural Hattrick had the two teams tied with scoring chances at four and high danger scoring chances at two. We're going to skip all the way down here to the final minutes of the first period. Where Jacob Slavin did Jacob Slavin things, causes a turnover at his blue line, gives it to Marnuk right in front of the, uh, right on the other side of the red line, really, who then passes it to Natchez in the zone. Natchez scores. Tied game going into the forced intermission. McLeod almost went right around Slavin. Martin has Natchez out in front, and he scores! Marty Natchez able to handle a bouncing puck and get it by Vanacek to tie the game at one. And again, that's how the forced period would come to an end. Both teams tied at one, both young stars putting their team on the board. Going into the second period, again, this game is mainly Carolina's at this point. They kind of took control. Then 7 minutes and 26 seconds into the period, Martin Natchez does it again. 
This is third of the playoffs, tied it late in the first period. Nation scores again! Another bouncing puck that came right to him, and Carolina leads 2-1. Another scoring opportunity for Martin Natchez, another scoring opportunity created by Carolina's blue line. This time, Brett Pesci, who has some blame in the initial goal from Hughes, makes up for it by bringing the puck into the zone, passing a great pass across the crease to Martin Natchez, who collects it and sends it up blocker high to put the Canes up by one. Actually, speaking of Pesci, let's go ahead and jump a little less than two minutes ahead in the game. And just, just torn into the game audio. We'll just hear and see what's happening. 10.20 to go. Second period. Sean McDonough, Ray Ferraro, Emily Kaplan at a suddenly quiet Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Stahl. It ricochets out into the slot. And Pesci scores. Brett Pesci assisted on the go-ahead goal. And now he has put the Canes up by two. This is a terrible sign if you're a New Jersey Devils fan and an absolutely amazing sign if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan. Only one thing could make it better, and that would be a final death nail goal scored by Carolina. A lot more life in the step of the Canes. Another free puck off a deflection. Chatfield, they're going to keep fighting away, and they score! Fast makes it 4 to 1. Carolina scores 3 goals in just over 4 minutes to not just take the lead, to not just provide the back-breaking goal, but to take the game pretty much completely out of reach for the New Jersey Devils. We're not going to go over every goal because we just don't have time. Brent Bournes would score again, and that would be the fourth goal. <laughs> Just two minutes after Jesper Faust. And then with just seconds left in the period, and this is where I really want to focus here, with just seconds left in the period, and this is what I really want to talk about here, Jordan Marnuk pits the Hurricanes up 6-1, going into the second intermission. Here comes Marnuk. All of a sudden, he's Wayne Gretzky, and he scores! This is an incredible story. Jordan Marnuk. First, I didn't realize uh, that they said he had turned into Wayne Gretzky live in action. I didn't, I, I just, I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't notice that, but I love it. And the reason I want to focus on this goal so much. First of all, Jordan Marnock had four points tonight. He has ten points in this playoff series. Ten. Double digits in just this round. It's absolutely insane. But... The part I love, before we dive into, like, actually how amazing it is that he's done this, is that Jordan Marnock started this season off on waivers. Everyone remembers, hopefully, that Don Waddell needed to pull off some acrobatic cap work at the beginning of the season, and part of that was putting Jordan Marnock on waivers. Now, ultimately, his contract value uh, doesn't look great on paper. Absolutely does not look great on paper. So he stayed in Carolina. But there was a 24-hour period there where there was a not 0% chance that he would have to leave the team he helped rebuild. We talk a lot about culture and what the room's like and the ability of these players to just have fun because ultimately this is a game. And that can be contributed to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Rod's leadership of how the organization treats 
every member, whether it's a Ice guy or Mike Maniscalco and Trip Tracy up in the booth or a concessions worker, like anyone within the organization is treated as if they were a special person because of Rod Brindamore. Now, Jordan Stahl is the one that gives you the, well, we're going to listen to everything Rod says because it's going to work, and I'll show you that it's going to work, and that's why everyone else is going to fall into it. But the atmosphere, the hey, hey, let's have a great time type of thing, that's Jordan Marnuk. The Mr. Svechnikov. Except, you know, he yells it. I'm just not going to do that because it's late and I have neighbors. Uh, or the sugar boo. Think of how many different moments that Jordan Marnock has given us just good vibes. And now, being rewarded for, first of all, just that scary, scary 24-hour period at the beginning of the season. But also, the past, what, four years of just being a stand-up guy? He gets rewarded with a 10-point series, with at least one game still left to play, and a four-point night. The most recent player to do it was actually Ray Whitney in 2009 uh, against, you want to believe it, the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> I don't know, sometimes history's funny. But Martinuk's team-high 10 points in the second round are now tied with Bates Battaglia, from 2002 against Montreal and Corey Stillman's Eastern Conference Final performance against the Buffalo Sables in 2006 for the most by any Hurricane skater in a single playoff series. Marnock also became the first player in franchise history to post four straight multiple-point games in a single postseason. Like, I, I don't know what, what, what's going on with Jordan, with Marty Party, but I love it for him. And the good vibes will continue to roll as long as this is how he behaves. Just glorious things. The notes from the game aren't very many. Because honestly, once it became a barn burner in the second, I put down the pen and I stopped taking notes. I will say this. Early into the first period, I it was just so easy to realize that the Devils were straight up anticipating the forecheck from Carolina and specifically what they were going to do on the forecheck. And that's how they were able to create their time and space. I would have to go back to watch game three to see if that's how they beat Carolina so badly. And that initial thing in that initial game was just by anticipating their moves on the forecheck and backcheck. But it was really obvious in the first 10 minutes of this game. And I was actually worried about it until Carolina figured it out. I don't know if they were just like more chippy with how they do the forecheck or backcheck or if they moved a little bit faster or what, but the Devils were no longer able to read what was coming and the Hurricanes scored accordingly. From here, we're going to head down to the locker room, of course, and hear from the head coach and his players. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The major storyline coming out of this game is going to be the performance of Jordan Marnock, not only in this game, but in the series, because Jordan Marnock is not a household name. He is not going to be in an all-star game. He is not known for his offensive production. Yet this series, in just four games, again, he has ten points. Rod Brindamore was asked what's different about this series. Why 
Jordan Molyneux, who isn't known for this, is just popping off in this round against the New Jersey Devils. But he's played, I mean, he's played well all year. I think it's uh, one of those players that a lot of times doesn't get a lot of recognition of the work he puts in. And, you know, it's just it's the nature of the game. We always look at guys who score and put up points, and they're the guys who get all the talk. And yet these other guys that do all the work sometimes get kind of forgotten. And I don't think his game's changing at all. People that watch him all the time, it's just the puck going in right now. But he, he gets chances all, every night. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to see a guy like that now that we're talking about him because he is such a big part of our group. Brendan Moore was then asked why it was so important that this series didn't come back to Raleigh for Game 5 tied. We, we didn't come here to win one game. You know, we came here to win them both. Like, it, it, it's, but we didn't. We didn't win that last one, so now we got to win the one we had tonight. And then, and then Dave and I will be talking about we got to win that game. So I think the guys understand that. The guys understand that we've been through this a little bit, which helps. And we understand that it goes like this sometimes. And you, it's always about how you're going to respond. And I think we did a great job of that tonight. Thanks to just this incredible storyline around John Marnuk and just the great win, Martin Natchez's play will be overlooked. Martin Natchez played really well tonight. He was on hat-trick watch coming out of the second period and never got it done. But he played incredibly well tonight. And Rod was actually kind of asked a stupid question, and I'll play his answer, but he was asked... If Martin Natchez is capable of being the guy who gets the important goal, if he's capable of being someone the team can count on. And while not at all times, that's 100% what Martin Natchez is supposed to bring to this team every shift of every game of every season. One of our more skilled guys and talented players, and um, you know he, he, can, he can score at any time. So I think... We, we always look to him, just look at everybody. But, yeah, when he's on the ice, you're saying, okay, there's a chance that he might do something. And that's, uh, you know, especially we've talked at length about the guys we don't have in the lineup that could do that. And he, he's one of those guys that is still on the, in the group that has that ability, and he showed that tonight. After every loss, especially a blowout loss, like Game 3 was, the goaltender in the net takes a lot of flack. And in the case of Freddie Anderson, he's been taking a lot of flack the entire year, including from me, who said I would prefer Ronta to play this game if he was healthy. And Anderson answered that with a one-goal performance. Freddie Anderson knows better than most in this league that goalies take a lot of heat, and he took a ton of heat in Toronto before even coming to Carolina. Rod Brindamore was asked about the adversity that tonight's starting netminder faced and what it can tell us about who Freddie is. So, you know, goalies, listen, they get all the attention and, and probably overdone when we win and just get heaped on when you lose. And um, yeah, But I think that's part of the, the job. You, you know, he, it's big boy hockey here, so... He, yeah, I think he understands that really well. Like he is, I, I, it looks like nothing bothers him. He looks like he's in a preseason game sometimes, and you watch him in this game, they look the same. So I think he has a great ability just to kind of move on and try to do his job. Next, we have probably my favorite question asked of Rod tonight about what it felt like to sit behind the bench as his team just lit up the Devils in the second period. Well, it's, uh, the game's won in a five-minute span, right? And that's 
that's hockey. I mean, it can sometimes you don't need all those goals, but that's what happens. You just can't take a breather. And for us, you know, we were able to capitalize right there, and the rest of the game was kind of eh. But that's all it takes sometimes. Switching over to Jordan Marnuk, Corey Laviolette asked Jordan or Marnuk, "There's too many Jordans on our team, and there's a Brent and a Brett." Can you guys just get, I need, I need just, everyone to have differently sounding names. A Steve would be cool. A couple Johns, and by a couple, I mean one. one you know what? That's the new rule. I'm going to email Dundon in just a minute here. You can only sign one player per name each season. That's the, that's the rule going forward. Anyways, Corey Laviolette asked Jordan Marnuk what it feels like to have this much production in this series. Yeah, I've, obviously it's... It's good to contribute, but just being up three-one going home, I think that's the uh, that's the main thing. After Sunday, we obviously weren't happy. We wanted to uh, come out and um, obviously play our style. Uh, first five minutes, I think we were on our heels again, and then once we settled in, then and we got to our game, which was uh, which was. Uh, you can see it tonight. In case you're wondering, that's what a selfless non-answer sounds like from a professional hockey league player. And <laughs> a follow-up, he was asked if he puts more pressure on himself because the team is missing its bona fide goal scorers in Svechnikov and Teravainen and Pacioretty. I, I don't know if I put any more on myself. Um, I just try and come and play hard every night and I set try and set the tone with my work ethic and um, this, I guess, this series, I'm they're, I'm they're going in and I'm getting the points. But um, I think even the first series, I was I was playing well. I just didn't get didn't get any points. And um, I think just obviously, like you said, we've lost a lot of key guys, and um, we need scoring from everywhere. And I feel like in the games that we won in this series, we've been getting it kind of from from everywhere, and that's what we need moving forward. Moving on from tonight's game. Thursday night will be Game 5, a potential series-clinching game for the first time in the second round. And listen, I, I've missed every playoff game so far this season. It's the first season I could say that of in the Rod Brindamore era. And I'm very excited to get back in the building. You guys have no idea how much I've missed being in the building for playoff hockey. So if you see me, say hi. Uh... Don't make it weird, but also say hi. Uh, but I want to transition to news, uh, like actual non-game coverage, but hockey news news. It looks like the Hurricanes are close. I should say that Brian Morphy is reporting from WRAL that the Hurricanes are close to signing a new 25-year lease, which is going to be part of the renovations for the building. They won't sign it until they get an agreement on the renovations. But the Central Centennial Authority came out and said that they're expecting it within this summer, if not sooner. So that's a very good sign for hockey fans in Raleigh. But I want to talk about our minor league affiliate. And for that, I'm going to turn it over to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, just to hear what Elliot and Jeff Merrick were talking about on the last episode. The other thing I heard is that there have been conversations between Carolina and Chicago, the Wolves, mm. about extending their affiliation. If you'll remember about a month ago, 
The Wolves had sent out an email saying they were going independent this year. I had heard that there had been some influential individuals who did not like this idea and were trying to broker a solution. And I believe that the Hurricanes and the Wolves, the Hurricanes were their NHL affiliate this year, the Hurricanes and the Wolves were trying to reach a solution so that this did not occur and that the two teams would stay connected. I'm getting differing viewpoints on whether or not this will actually be successful, Hmm. but I just wanted to say that there have been conversations and we'll see if this can be bridged. So obviously I keep track of hockey news in general, not just things involving the Carolina Hurricanes, and I've seen this story misreported. Uh, which is funny because it uh, it's all based off of this clip of Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts. But I've seen a ton of people be like, well, the uh, Gary Bettman stepped in. And while that's possible, there was no actual facts to support that claim. It's just that a boogeyman of some sort, some power broker, has stepped in and be like, actually, we don't like the idea of this. So let's figure this out. Because honestly, if Chicago does go independent, that leaves a lot of things up in the air Although I wouldn't mind being affiliated with the Charlotte Checkers again, especially now that Skylar Brindamore's down there, but none of this is the point. Nothing is set in stone. But the update is that the powers that be do not like the idea of the Chicago Wolves going independent. So no matter what petty squabbles the Chicago Wolves feel like they have against the Carolina Hurricanes and how they want to manage their prospects that probably will not go independent. It still could, very much so. But the chances are low, because if the powers-to-be don't want it, sorry, you're a member of a 32-team league, either you can play it our way, or we can call someone up from the ACHL. Just putting that out there. Not saying it's going to happen, but if the powers-that-be don't support your next step, it's going to be a lot harder to take that next step without falling on your face. As always, thank you for listening to Home Ice Advantage. Follow me online at Colin Home Ice. Share, like, and review the show. If you haven't already, follow us. I will be back Thursday after Game 5. And until then, go Canes. Also, if you've seen me inside of PNC Arena, come say hi, because it's entertainment purposes. Anyways, go Canes. <laughs> <laughs>